When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Vicki Connor. Together, we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today, we are headed to the snowy slopes of Mount Bachelor in Bend, where one organization is helping to break down barriers that some skiers and snowboarders have been facing. Yeah, that organization is called Oregon Adaptive Sports, and its mission is to help people with physical, cognitive, and developmental disabilities get out and enjoy the great outdoors. In the winter, that means snow sports at Mount Bachelor, and in the summer, it's usually cycling, mountain biking, hiking around Bend. And while primarily focused in Central Oregon, they have been branching out to other parts of the state as well. So, so cool. Uh, I don't know about you, Jamie, but I have a ton of questions about this. And luckily, we have a guest joining us today who might be able to answer them. Joining us is Carl Burnett, a skier and teacher with Oregon Adaptive Sports. Carl, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Carl, why don't we start with how you got to Oregon Adaptive Sports? How did you hook up with them initially? Well, my background is as an adaptive ski racer. So I have a spinal cord injury um, since childhood, and I've been an adaptive skier for my whole life. I was on the U.S. Paralympic team um, competing uh, from like 1998 through 2010, competed in three Paralympic Games in 2002, 6, and 10. And uh, since retiring from the ski team, I've been looking for ways to kind of share my love of skiing with other people. So I've been involved with volunteering um, with a few different adaptive sports organizations over the years. But um, my wife and I moved to Bend in 2018. And since then, I've been volunteering with OAS um, initially assisting with lessons, but this year I've been transitioning to um, becoming an instructor myself, um, going through the process right now of uh, becoming a certified level one Alpine instructor. Um, And I've been starting to teach lessons with other mono skiers, that is other people using the same adaptive equipment that I use. Carl, I'm kind of interested, like, so what were the barriers you faced when you were getting into skiing? Well, it's, it's not an easy sport to pick up, as anybody who's done it knows. But as anyone who's stuck with it knows, it's extremely rewarding because it's a great way to get outdoors in the winter and um, be in nature and get some sensations that you, that you can't really do um, any other way than sliding fast on snow. But as far as barriers... I guess for one thing, um, cost is a barrier for a lot of people for enjoying winter sports. Um, not everybody's lucky enough to grow up 
in a mountain town or a place where they have easy access to skiing. And even if they do, they can't necessarily afford the price of skiing these days. So that's where organizations like OAS make a big difference for people who um, would have trouble affording skiing. They're able to provide scholarships, partial or full scholarships in many cases, for people to get out and um, take lessons and learn the sport, sports of skiing and snowboarding. Yeah, you know, it's, skiing seems like one of these sports that has pretty high barriers to entry regardless. I mean, you've got to be able to get up to uh, a mountain, you've got to be able to rent equipment or buy equipment. Um, I imagine for folks who need specialized equipment during adaptive skiing or need specialized instruction, it's not just as easy as walking up to the rental shop usually, right? And finding specialized equipment there. Yeah, that's absolutely true, um, which is why OAS um, provides equipment with all of their lessons. Um, no matter what a person's disability is, whether they might just need a pair of skis and poles, or they might need a multi-thousand dollar piece of equipment like a monoski or a biski, um, all of those are made available and maintained and lent out um, for lessons by OAS. And so that removes one of those barriers that you mentioned. In addition, the lessons include lift tickets, and in some cases, um, OAS is even able to provide transportation or um, help coordinate that. And we also are operating um, now at three different mountains, um, Mount Bachelor, Hoodoo, and um, new this year is Mount Ashland in Southwest Oregon. So we're trying to expand our programs to reach more people wherever they are. Yeah, I know that OAS talks a lot about these sort of five pillars, right? That, you know, as we're sort of talking about, you know, barriers that people may face of these five primary barriers that um, folks may face in getting into um, doing outdoor activities. You know, we talked about cost, um, equipment, instruction, transportation, and information. You know, it seems like that the, the deck is stacked against folks who don't necessarily or can't necessarily go the traditional route to getting this information or getting getting onto the slopes in general. So when, when folks come to you to do lessons um, or folks come to OAS to do this kind of stuff, do you find, you know, that that they there's a level of frustration or is there um, people are just a higher level of excitement to be out there? By the time that they get on the slopes with us, that barrier has uh, melted away. We've gotten them there. And so usually they're really excited um, for their their experience. We have a phrase at OAS, best day ever, because it often feels like um, every day that we're up on, on the slopes is, is the best day ever. So that's the kind of um, experience that we try to provide for people. Carl, I, I'm interested in uh, the gear that you mentioned before, the mono skis and the bi skis. As someone who's not super familiar with this, like what what does this gear entail or look like? If you could paint us a picture, sure. So mono skis and bi skis are both types of sit ski, so they're good for a range of different disabilities. That would include people who can't walk because of a spinal cord injury, like me, or because of perhaps. Um, amputations, um, congenital conditions, progressive neuromuscular diseases, or even people who can walk but um, would have trouble with balance and strength standing up on skis. And a monoski 
as you might imagine, has one ski underneath and a bi-ski has two. A bi-ski is a good option for people with um, more limiting disabilities or people who are younger or who are just starting out in sport. Depending on the person, um, they might be able to start out instead in a monoski or perhaps progress to a, mo a monoski, which provides more freedom to really ski the whole mountain. There's nowhere on Mount Bachelor that I haven't been in my monoski. It really opens a lot of doors to um, providing a lot of new experiences. I have a friend, um, Josh Duick from, from Canada, Paralympic medalist, as well as a really accomplished freestyle skier, the first person to land a backflip in a monoski. He calls his monoski his freedom chair, which I think is a great phrase because it really um, lets me go places and have experiences that I otherwise wouldn't be able to. In terms of just what it looks like, a monoski and a biski are both um, kind of a, a metal frame that sits on top of either one or two skis. And most of the time there's a shock absorber to absorb um, bumps and terrain that you might go over. In some cases, there might be a handlebar on the back of the seat that allows an instructor to assist with turns and speed control or a tether strap on the back that allows someone to ski behind um, and also help control. But for people who are trying to become independent on their equipment, that's not needed. And we can learn to ski fully independently. And you obviously have a lot of experience um, skiing and with this equipment in particular, what has your experience been like transitioning from you know, skiing in the Paralympic Games um, to transitioning to teaching people. What has that been like for you? Yeah, it's it's different. Um, just because you're good at doing something doesn't mean that you're good at teaching it. You really have to break it down to its core elements, right? So right off the bat, I've been helping teach some intermediates and advanced beginner skiers. And in some ways, that's a lot easier because um, they've already mastered a few fundamentals and we can start to work on refining technique and that kind of stuff. But with somebody who's never been in a sit ski before, there's a whole different set of skills that you have to teach around some fundamentals like um, balance, edging, rotation, pressure. And of course, the different abilities or disabilities that people have will affect their ability to pick up the skill, those skills at different rates. So I'm learning that as an instructor, you really have to be patient and you also have to be very good at picking up on what people's um, strengths and limitations are so that you can adapt uh, the lesson to them. But luckily, as we like to say, adaptive is our middle name. <laughs> I love that. Carl, do you find that a lot of the people you're teaching, are? is it kind of a large span of different ages? Is it mostly youth? Um, who are the people who are uh, you are working with? There's a huge range, uh, anywhere from five to ninety. Oh um, I would say that we have a lot of kids who are getting into the sport. Uh, we have 
a great crop of teens right now who have been with OAS for maybe 10 years, been taking lessons with us, and we've gotten to see them progress. Um, we also have a lot of people who are maybe middle-aged and they enjoyed skiing or snowboarding earlier in their life um, before the onset of a disability, and now they're able to rediscover that that sport again using different equipment. I, you mentioned that that sense of freedom of being out there on um, on the mountain and being out there in the snow. I have to imagine there are some other qualities, um, some effects of being able to go out there. Like, does this ripple off into other parts of people's lives? Do they find themselves um, feeling more empowered or anything like that? For sure. I mean, our mission statement is to provide life-changing outdoor recreation experiences for people with disabilities. And they really can do just that, change people's lives by um, giving them more self-confidence, opening up the outdoors as a place for them. A lot of times after the onset of a disability, people might think of outdoor sports as something that has become off limits to them. And we are here to help them realize that that's not the case, that nature still has a ton to offer to everybody, regardless of your disability. So yeah, I have seen it really be life-changing for people in that way. And I have to imagine for for other folks in the mountain too, just seeing people out there on monoskis um, or folks, you know, uh, who have any, any number of disabilities be out there. It's like, oh, that, you know, it, it shows that like that, that's something that isn't off limits, right? It, I think there's something that's like some effect on everybody um, by seeing everybody can be out there on the mountain. It's pretty rare for a lesson to go by without a member of the general public skiing up to me or someone who's taking a lesson and say, hey, I know somebody who has a disability. How can we find out more? Or how can they learn to ski? Or um, how can they get involved with Oregon Adaptive Sports? So um, yeah, it's pretty pretty contagious, this um, enthusiasm for outdoor recreation. And just about everybody is affected by disability at some point in their lives, either themselves or a loved one. So our mission affects a lot of people. Well, Carl, going off of that, um, if someone is listening and either they or someone they know is interested in getting involved with OAS, uh, what does that process look like? Yeah, whether you are interested in getting involved as as a participant, an athlete, um, or as a volunteer, I would direct people to our website. That's OregonAdaptiveSports.org. Um, we have a lot of information up there um, about how to get involved on, on either side of a lesson. Once someone um, signs up, what does the process look like from there? As a volunteer or as a, an athlete? As an athlete. So, I mean, are they matched up with an instructor? I mean, how, how, does, how does that process go? Yeah. So for alpine skiing and snowboarding, all of our lessons are one-on-one. Um, in fact, um, there's more than one staff member or volunteer typically working with each athlete. Usually we have one lead instructor as well as um, one or two volunteers who assist with things like um, carrying equipment, loading the lift, and what we call blocking, which is skiing behind the lesson to make sure that members of the public um, give us plenty of room for the lesson. 
So yeah, on the on the day of an athlete's first lesson, they make their way up to the mountain, either with or without transportation assistance from us. And we talk about the the equipment that might be appropriate for them to use and in, in many cases give them a choice about which of several different pieces of equipment they might want to try. The athlete is in in control of the lesson as far as telling us what their goals are and what they want to get out of it. Maybe it's just to go for a ride um, down the mountain with plenty of assistance, just to be able to experience that feeling of sliding on snow. Or maybe their goal is to become an independent skier or snowboarder who can go enjoy the sport with their family. So they're looking for the skills and equipment that'll help get them to that goal. It's really different for everybody. Well, so I know we've talked a lot about skiing. Obviously, Oregon Adaptive Sports does other sports as well. Uh, mountain biking, cycling, golf, I believe also hiking. Carl, do you, do you do any other outdoor activities as well? Or are you mostly just a ski guy? Yeah, just in the last couple of years, um, I've picked up mountain biking as a sport. I've always had a road hand cycle that's good for fitness and getting out and seeing the Oregon countryside. But um, mountain biking is really a whole other thing that combines a lot of the adrenaline of alpine skiing with the experience of being in the mountains in the summer. So yeah, that's been a blast. I've been a participant in mountain biking as an athlete, as a student myself the last couple of years. Um, and who knows, maybe, maybe in a few years I'll, I'll be in a position to be able to start instructing in mountain biking as well. That is awesome. I love that. What are some of your places, favorite places to go mountain biking and then also to ski? In mountain biking, um, I haven't been very many places yet, mostly here in central Oregon. Um, so like the Phil's Trailhead Network um, outside of Bend, that's a, a popular spot for us to go ride. Other trails like Tyler's Traverse, which is over by the Deschutes River. Um, some of our listeners will know these these places and and we'll probably see um, adaptive cyclists out there um, on the trails. As far as skiing, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to travel all over the world with a U.S. adaptive ski team. Got to train and race on like five different continents. I still think the Northwest and, and the Rockies are some of the best places in the world to ski. One of my favorite places to go when I can is Jackson Hole. Um, whenever I can get over there, get some some terrain that you can't find here in the Northwest. But uh, Mount Bachelor, honestly, is a pretty amazing mountain to have um, in your backyard. It's just so much terrain and, and so much variety. Never get bored of skiing at that mountain. Amazing. Well, we're happy to have you up on Mount Bachelor doing some teaching now and that you're uh, not skiing for no, across the world as much anymore. Uh, so uh, as you said, folks who want to know more information about Oregon Adaptive Sports, head over to OregonAdaptiveSports.org. Um, you can also look out for an article we're going to have um, online at Oregon Live uh, about Oregon Adaptive Sports and some of those opportunities. So Carl, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on today. We really appreciate it. Sure thing. It's been a pleasure. Well, that will wrap things up for us, folks. Until next time, you can watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel, as well as hereisoregon.com. 
Please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast as well as our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Also, if you're a fan of the show and you're interested in potentially sponsoring it, you can get in touch with our marketing people at advertise at Oregonian.com. This episode of the show was produced by me, Vicki Connor, alongside Jamie Hale, Andrew Thien, and Elena Neal-Sachs. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen. <laughs>